0: Welcome to the Hannibal Rivertown Review Podcast, a celebration of Hannibal, Missouri, its history, its people, and its colorful characters, real and fictional. And now, the Hannibal Rivertown Review Podcast.
1: We greet you once again. I'm getting better about not mentioning numbers.
2: Uh, <laughs> Even though you have to mention every time that you don't that mention numbers. That I mention numbers, number. yeah, Which okay. is my new favorite thing, actually. Yeah, okay. All right. I'm, I think I'm going to have to go back to just letting you say what number yeah, okay. episode this is. No, it's probably easier to find.
1: I'm, I'm going to, one of these days, I'm going to have an episode <laughs> where I won't say anything about numbers at all. Ah uh, Because...
2: Uh, we welcome you to the podcast.
1: Yes, that's right. Just <laughs> just plunge right forward. I'm Harold
2: Smith, and I'm Megan Rapp,
1: and uh, we we start with a, a kind of a, a caveat, I guess would be the the, the right word.
2: Yes, um, we talk um, many times uh, on the on the podcast about the interesting stories and the interesting people. Um, we've interviewed a lot of interesting people, either from Hannibal or. Um, that have moved to Hannibal, uh, all all different kinds. And this is um, a story from a gentleman who was born and raised here in Hannibal. Yes, um, but it gets
1: it, yeah, it's it is it gets a little it gets a little graphic. It gets this this might make you squirm in your seat a little bit uh where however wherever you are are listening to us uh John Wingate was with us uh just a little over a year ago uh to tell the stories of of his book The Lost Boys of Hannibal. Uh so if you were if you recall that and uh, he has written another book a a follow up to that uh, a sequel would be the proper word but this was not something that he sought out. This is not a book when he was with us a year ago, that he he sought to write as this found him
2: it, exactly. And of course, just in a nutshell, the Lost Boys of Hannibal um, goes over the the largest uh, cave hunt in American history, mm-hmm. which happened in 1967 when three boys went went missing. Um, they were believed to have uh, been lost in the caves during uh, road construction, mm-hmm. and so um, that's that was that story and then this is about this the following book and like we said we just want to give you a caveat that this story is a sequel Um, it it, it poses some interesting questions and hypotheses for you
1: yes so with that uh, our conversation with uh, once again John Wingate
3: when I was uh,
2: wrapping up the uh, media
3: coverage for the uh, first book Lost Boys of Hannibal inside America's largest cave search um, it was at a uh, book review and a book signing in uh, Hannibal, and that was on June 30th of last year. And um, little did I know that we were going to take an astonishing turn in this story uh, during the summer of 2018. And what I ended up doing was uh, developing a, a second book, Soul Speak, Missing Children Reveal Their Serial Killer From Beyond, And um, this documents the astonishing investigation that uh, I conducted with a team of uh, three evidential clairvoyants, or mediums, who independently identified the three missing Hannibal boys uh, as being among the serial killer John Wayne Gacy's first victims. Now, this happened uh, many years before the Gacy madman uh, killed 33 young men and boys in Chicago between 1972 and 1978. So... Um, this really rocked my world. Uh, It it was an astonishing development. Uh, Never in my wildest dreams would I ever think that something like like this would develop. I've always personally been somewhat skeptical of, uh, you know, the paranormal, and uh, there are potential dangers with the New Age, and, of course, the Bible counsels us to kind of avoid it. And that's very wise counsel because it's really beyond our full understanding to discern the source of power that comes out through these uh, interactions between mediums and the non-physical world. But
1: uh,
2: now, now,
3: what happened now, the last year really rocked my world.
1: Sure. Uh, now, John, uh, as again, as people will recall, um, people who have uh, listened to the the podcast uh, over the last uh, year plus, uh, it was uh, about, and you mentioned uh, June thirtieth. Uh, that was about the time you were uh, in the area. Uh, you were with us on the podcast, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, it. Refresh my memory a little bit. I I did not uh, take the time to go back uh, into the into the archives. Uh, did not play Mike Wallace to where I could say now. Back when you were with us, uh, you said this because uh, we because that was in the book uh, in the Lost Boys of Hannibal. Uh, you talked about uh, the the different theories, and one of them was uh, the possibility uh, that the name John Wayne Gacy was was part of the discussion about other possibilities.
3: Uh, that's right. Of course, uh, the three boys went missing in the uh, uh, caves on the south side of Hannibal, or were believed to have gone missing in the caves, and that prompted the uh, largest cave search in U.S. history. It unfolded over a 30-day period in May and June of 1967. Uh, not any, no evidence was ever found of the boys' whereabouts, and it remains a most vexing uh, Missouri mystery. Um, The cavers went home very sad and disappointed. The families have uh, carried this trauma with them for more than half a century now. And at the time, uh, once Gacy was uh, arrested in Chicago in 1978, uh, rumors started filtering around that Gacy may have been in Hannibal. Now, there were rumors that he was working on the road construction site, and there were rumors that he was uh, working at a bar in Hannibal. But all of these ended up as dead ends when you would, you know, look at them from an investigative perspective. Well, what happened last year was we had uh, three different psychics, uh, two in Missouri and one in the uh, state of Wyoming, who uh, largely unknown to each other and completely independent of each other, uh, saw Gacy as the killer of these boys. Um, and the scenario that they painted was uh, one of uh, the boys were last seen at 515 on May 10, 1967, um, on the uh, slope by the Highway 79 road cut where some major road construction was underway. And they'd been exploring uh, the previous two days some uh, cave openings that had been exposed in the roadbed surface. Well, uh, these psychics identified Gacy as the the quote-unquote mystery man that had been seen in 1967. Uh, at the very location and a workman had approached him and said what are you doing you know it's kind of an odd place to be standing up here on the the uh, slope that was fairly steep and rocky and he said well i'm just uh, watching the activity well the psychics told me that uh, he was actually there for uh, 3 days uh, may 8th, may 9th, may 10th and he was not only watching the three boys but also had his eye on um, a young uh, highway construction worker at the uh, location. So um, the big question was, you know, how did this unfold? And and in investigating this and talking with the psychics and driving them independently around Hannibal, uh, the scenario is this: that the boys uh, uh, who frequently took rides from complete strangers uh, because they were too young to drive, and in uh, and
1: in ni- and in 1967. Uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, young people would be advised very much the contrary in this day and age, but it, in 1967, that was a different time.
3: Absolutely. And so the the boys accepted a ride uh, from Gacy, according to these psychics. Uh, <clears throat> he drive, gets them in his uh, large, what they describe as a land barge uh, car, you know, large car, large trunk, which was typical of that era. And he begins to drive, and... Uh, he takes them south on Bluff Street or what was then called River Road, which goes along the uh, <coughs> eastern edge of uh, Lover's Leap, down along the river and the railroad track. There, are heading, at one time, it went all the way to Saverton. Now it only goes about a mile, and then it dead ends. Um, from there, uh, the boys get concerned. You're going the wrong way. Our home, you should have taken another turn. And he says, I've got a shortcut. Don't worry. And they get very alarmed. Uh, he ends up uh, at a location a little over two miles south of where they were last seen, uh, and um, in northern Rawls County. And this was the location that they, the psychics, believe that he uh, pulled off the road into a wooded area, um, tortured them, and strangled them, and buried them in a shared grave that he apparently had. Uh, Dug previously, so this was planned, and uh, so it. The, the findings were just absolutely astonishing, and and when I drove these uh, three women on different uh, dates in uh, August and September of last year, uh, I was literally astonished because uh, all three of them identified the same key locations and the same uh, gacy actions with the boys. You know, the the uh, point of contact with them, the. Uh, route that he took out of town once he had them in the car and then the location where they were tortured and killed. um, It absolutely blew my mind. And uh, of course, uh, Gacy uh, had a predilection for young men and boys. Uh, He would typically uh, pick them up, offering them uh, the promise of a job in his uh, construction firm in Chicago or uh, share marijuana or share alcohol. Um, And his known murders were largely confined to the period nineteen seventy two to nineteen seventy eight. But everyone associated with Gacy, from the prosecutor, from his attorneys to his uh court appointed psychiatrist, all agreed that Gacy uh, could not control this killing response within him. Uh his uh evil persona, if you will, that he named uh Jack, bad Jack. And the uh, Gacy uh considered himself complete prey to this uh, other personality, and and Jack would decide when he would kill. Um, So when I started looking through all this, I I found that Gacy, in 1967, uh, was living in Waterloo, Iowa, and um, he was helping uh, manage uh, three Kentucky Fried Chicken restaurants owned by his father-in-law. And uh, He was married. uh, He had two children, and his wife had just given birth to their second child in March of that year. And um, I was perplexed as to what in the world would place Gacy in Hannibal, Missouri, on May 10, 1967. And then as the book uh, explores this, and uh, with the help of some uh, uh, very good FBI documents from the time and correspondence between uh, the FBI and the Hannibal police, we learned that uh, Gacy's mother at the time uh, was living in Little Rock with his younger sister, and Gacy absolutely adored his mother and his two sisters. And so it appeared that, according to the FBI, that if he was doing any traveling during that period, it was to Little Rock to visit his mother and sister, and that it would have been for a period of less than two weeks. And the FBI said this based on an interview that they had conducted with Gacy's father-in-law. Well, come to find out, Mother's Day was May 14th that year. So uh, doing a little extrapolation, I I believe that Gacy was on his way. Uh, He took Highway 61 from Waterloo, and uh, it's an 11-hour drive to Little Rock from Waterloo, and you have to go right through Hannibal. Uh, He may have taken uh, one of the scenic route and went over and catch Highway 79, saw the road construction, and also saw a myriad of children uh, the baby boom children at that time, who were all over the south side, and decided to stay and spend a few days and see what happened, uh, and that's how the story supposedly unfolded, according to the
2: psychics and the investigation. Now, John, for for those of you, for those of our listeners that don't know your background and are maybe thinking, well, he really seems to put a lot of stock in these in these psychics, but you also use the term investigate. Um, you know, you do have an investigative background. Can you talk a little bit about, um, uh, you know, your your career um, as a journalist?
3: Sure. Yeah, I was uh, a television and uh, radio journalist uh, for about 20 years uh, at the major market and uh, radio network level, so... I have a lot of experience uh, with investigative reporting, and and I was very uh, leery of this initially. And uh, this was a story um, brought to me by the uh, uh, surviving uh, sisters of the Hoag boys. And they called me last July and said, John, John, um, Gacy killed them. They were his first kills. And I couldn't believe what I was hearing. And come to find out that the, the Hoags had had contact with these three psychics before I was even aware of the story, so they brought it to me, and um, so I, you know, I did my due diligence, I called these three women on the phone, they all, you know, proclaim to be Christians, and and they have some sort of gift, I'm not uh, entirely sure how that works, because it's beyond our understanding, really, but they can tap into this other realm and and, uh, obtain information. So they um, <clears throat> were interviewed independently, and I got all their stories together and then saw the overlay of the facts of the case in 1967, this mystery man that was at the scene that was well-documented. And um, and all three of these women uh, were unknown uh, were unaware of the uh, events of 1967. The oldest one's 31 years old, so they were all... Uh, toddlers, when uh, John Gacy was put to death in 94, so um, there was this uh, need then to really put them to the test, so to speak, and, and to really uh, challenge their uh, findings. So I made the decision to drive them independently around northeast Missouri, which is, you know, hundreds of square miles, and and uh, w- without exception, I mean, once we started driving and we went down to Louisiana and the the uh, nature preserve south of uh, Hannibal, north of Louisiana there, and uh, out 79 and Fulton, and and we went all over that area. And without exception, they just zeroed in on the the Bluff Street River Road exit out of town, which at the time was the quickest way to get out of town if you didn't want to be seen. And then the other location was uh, we would drive south on Highway 79, and uh, when we would get to a point, a uh, heavily wooded area just north of the uh, uh, entrance to the uh, Continental Cement Plant, uh, their necks would just shoot to the right and they'd go, what's this? Stop. We don't need to go any further. I mean, this was the reaction from all three of them independently on different dates uh, as I drove them around northeast Missouri. So uh, at that point I realized this is beyond coincidence And it it does demand some sort of inquiry. So that's when I decided to to write the book. And then uh, when I had it finished, to turn over the GPS coordinates to all county authorities and Hannibal PD. Uh, So the ball was in their court at that
0: point. Back to the Hannibal Rivertown Review podcast in just a moment. If you like what you hear, be sure and subscribe and leave us a review. And if you have a suggestion for a future episode, Email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com.
3: The Lost Boys case uh, remains open with Hannibal Police, and uh, this is in uh, northern Rawls County, so it would have to be a coordinated effort, I assume, for them to uh, do any digging or investigating at that particular site.
1: hmm and this, uh, and uh, it, you had told me, of course, you and I visited on the radio uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, uh, and uh, this was something that, that you shared with uh, the local law enforcement. This was uh, the, the, the spring of 2019? Uh,
3: That's right. Uh, earlier this year, I talked with uh, Deputy Chief Zerboni, uh, Hannibal P.D., and laid all this out, and I tried to contact, uh, well, I made repeated contacts with the uh, police chief and the uh, Ross County Sheriff and never heard back from them but when I spoke with uh, officer Zerbonia uh he was he was quiet and i think pretty well flabbergasted and he told me uh, as i detail in the book that uh this would be probably a a situation where they would go to either the FBI or the uh, highway patrol uh which has the you know equipment and the wherewithal to investigate uh something like this and he counseled me to uh, you know not to go rogue and go down and dig myself and i assured him that wasn't my intent because this is still an open case and, and any grave would certainly have evidence that would uh, you know illuminate the case even more i'm sure even though everyone associated with it gacy and the boys uh, are deceased
1: hmm. Uh, and uh, you alluded to this earlier uh, you you have the background as an investigative reporter but you're also a Christian and uh, you as, as i say you alluded to this a moment ago that had to be uh, you know no small conflict for you as all of this unfolded
3: it it really was and uh, believe me i had a lot of sleepless nights last summer but i uh, have a good friend who's a pastor at a church in our neighborhood and uh, and uh, fred and he's in the book as well and and uh, when I laid this out for him, he he was astonished as well and and uh, provided wise counsel. And, you know, my eyes are wide open about the deceptions of uh, fallen angels and deceiving spirits and, and what the Bible calls familiar spirits. Um, you know, long ago, a third of all the angels rebelled in heaven and they were cast down uh, into the uh, realm around our world. And, and I go into this uh, in the book. So... Um, After praying about it, uh, I just really had the sense that I just need to lay this out, uh, have it as an instructional uh, piece on what we know about the uh, non-physical realm, lay it out, all the players, angels, fallen angels, and um, see where this goes, and also to show uh, the potential dangers of the New Age. The New Age is gaining a foothold even in... Uh, churches, Christian churches, and um, so uh, chapter 10 of the book uh, details some of the concerns about that and and why it's very dangerous, and uh, although people can say with certainty, well, you know, I, I spoke with the spirits of the boys or, or John Gacy, and um, in the final analysis, uh, we can't know with certainty that that's, uh, you know, the source of this information, and um, I'll tell you one interesting story that's in the book. I was at a book signing at Mark Twain Museum um, last June 30th, and uh, while I was speaking, there was a young woman in the second row who was uh, kind of teary, and her cheeks were flushed. And I remember as I spoke, I was thinking, my goodness, she's too young to have experienced this firsthand, so you know, maybe she you know, knows someone directly connected with the Lost Boys story. Well, later I find out that she was the uh, first psychic or one of the first psychics that the uh, Hoag sisters uh, connected with. And uh, I interviewed her, and she said that while I was speaking, she saw, and this is kind of her gift, seeing energy, energetic forms. She saw the the, uh, energetic, uh, vibrational forms of what she said were the three boys' uh, spirits at the front of the room with me. And one of them said to the others, I think she can see us. And one of them moved to her left and said, can you hear me? So I was equally astonished when she shares this story with me. And, and her name is Cat Hunt. She's a, she's a psychic in uh, southern Missouri who, who doesn't make her a living at it. She's actually in the financial services industry and uh, has an assumed name in the book just because she doesn't want to be very high profile, but she does want to be helpful uh, and I asked her, well, how could this possibly be? What was the point of that And she said that uh, uh, she said it was a good example of uh, group intentionality in that there were maybe 60 or 80 people in the room who, with an altruistic love for the boys uh, that emotion, and love attracted their spiritual energy, and they came forward to try to help identify their killer. And um, the other psychics uh, confirmed that, and that the boys basically wanted closure, a complete closure uh, on this, and identified John Gacy to another uh, psychic as, as their killer. Uh, they were saying his name repeatedly, John, 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 John Wayne Gacy, uh, to the other psychic who lives in Hannibal. Um, The third psychic in Wyoming uh, has a a real gift for uh, visually seeing uh, visions of what's happened. And she, she explains it as basically like laying out photographs on a table. She sees that much detail. She saw the abduction. She saw the sexual torture of the boys. Uh, she saw uh, Gacy killing them and putting them in the same grave. Uh, she identified uh, a white T-shirt, uh, a pocket knife that uh, John Gacy took from one of the boys and kept, um, a red sneaker, a brown boot, um, all of these particular items I list in the book. And so that once if a grave is found, then that might point to uh, some identification opportunities.
1: Uh, it would seem to me that uh, when it comes to the reaction that you're getting from this book, that it would it would run the gamut. Uh, I would I'm sure you have people that are saying that's the biggest bunch of hooey I ever heard in my life. But on the other hand, you you're having people that are going because uh, you and I have talked about this before. You know the the families never got closure. Well, maybe at long last, after all these years, uh, they're getting closure. But uh, as I understand it. Uh, to say that uh, some members of this family have not greeted this information with open arms would be an understatement.
3: Yeah, it's uh, it's an in- and I anticipated this when I decided to write the book that uh, people are either going to love it or hate it, and, and uh, that's kind of been the case. But uh, I can assure people that uh, I was equally astonished a year ago, and having uh, spent many months on this, uh, what I lay out in the book is absolutely true. Uh, do I? have with certainty the feeling that the boys are buried there Uh, i don't all i say is that through extraordinary circumstances circumstances and the corroboration among three uh, women independently all point to the exact plot of land in northeast missouri and that's a pretty uh, astonishing coincidence if it's just a coincidence so uh, i think it demands uh, further investigation by law enforcement authorities And uh, I fully understand that uh, feeling because it is astonishing, but as I lay out in the book, uh, uh, in a fairly deep way, we're kind of left with the feeling that, okay, uh, it's beyond our understanding to fully comprehend what's going on here. But in the end, it's either the work of uh, God through these people, it's a God thing, And, and God can use anyone at any time for anything, or it's, uh, it's a deception by malicious spirits, uh, interested in fomenting more, more pain and confusion. So um, that's where I leave it in the book and uh, leave it in the hands of law enforcement.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, some of the, some of the uh, Facebook posts that I've seen on this, uh, are there
3: other uh, cases that you cover in
1: this book besides uh, the, the case of the Lost Boys?
3: Yes, there are two uh, Monroe City boys, and of course Monroe City is 15 miles from Hannibal, um, two boys went missing. Uh, first one, John Wagner, uh, vanished in February of 1968, uh, just nine months after the boys in Hannibal vanished. And uh, then in 1977 summer, uh, Ricky Enoch, uh, he vanished from uh, uh, his home in Monroe City. He uh, uh, walked out of the house and, and got into a kind of a land barge type car with a man and drove off and was never seen again. Um, he had told his dad that he'd be right back, and, of course, he never came back. And at the time, um, and I've always had a, a big question in my mind about those two cases, because when you look at these boys, uh, they look like Gacy victims. Gacy liked boys with a certain look. And so on a hunch, I sent uh, Mary uh, the Wyoming psychic uh, photos of uh, John Wagner and Ricky Enoch and provided her with uh, zero background on the cases of these boys. I didn't mention if they were living or dead or anything. And um, she came back with uh, precise scenarios of what happened to these boys. And in both of those cases, she sees John Wayne Gacy having a role and
1: And there was uh and uh, as I recall, uh, there was some information you have some information there about uh, Christina Whitaker as well.
3: yeah, uh-huh. Uh, one of the psychics had uh, taken a look at that case and uh believed that there may have been some foul play there that she's not uh, uh, still missing, so you know that's still up in the air, of course, that's an open case in Hannibal, um, the Christina Whitaker case, which has been very high profile for what a decade now mm-hmm
1: yeah um, chilling information uh, indeed uh, uh, if, if the people would like uh, to uh, to uh, get uh, get their hands on this book soul speak missing children identify their Ser- serial killer from beyond uh, how can they get that
3: um, it's available on Amazon and then in Hannibal uh, it's being uh, carried by a Mark Twain book and gift and uh, in Quincy uh, it's it's uh, carried by uh, Quincy Books.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, as, as, this is, uh, as we record this, uh, you're going to be uh, back in the area uh, in, the, in the coming weeks uh, for uh, book signings and appearances and that sort of thing.
3: Yeah, something uh, in, during September. Um, I don't have a date nailed down yet, however.
1: Yeah. Uh, this, and and uh, the folks are, are probably, uh, Megan, uh, are uh, sitting here going, man, usually you guys cover all these happy, wonderful things about Hannibal. <laughs>
2: and, and here we are with this. Uh, well, you know, like, like John said, he didn't realize when he wrote Lost Boys of Hannibal, which was just a, a detailing of the largest hunt, you know, for these for these uh, the cave search for for the boys, he didn't realize where he'd end up. Our listeners don't know where they're going to end up when they start in on a podcast.
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah, John. This was uh, this was obviously uh, this. You didn't you didn't go looking for this story. This story found you.
3: That's right. Uh, the Hoag family brought it to me, and and I was cognizant of that. You know, Hannibal's having their two hundredth anniversary, and. Um, You know, don't want to be a downer, but by the same token, (laughs) I believe it's an opportunity to maybe bring some complete full closure to this case once and for all and and have some real healing take place. I mean, uh, the whole reason I wrote Lost Boys of Hannibal previously was to try to honor the boys and the hundreds of people who helped try to find them back in uh, spring and summer of 1967. So it's always been about the boys. Uh, The Hogue boys were... Uh, friends of mine, we played in the hills of the South Side growing up, and uh, it was a terrible trauma for, for everyone when they went missing. Uh, you know, when you're when you're a kid, uh, your friends don't go missing, and they don't end up dead. And um, so it was uh, really a trauma that you never forget it. You know, you carry it through your life, and every time I get back to Hannibal, I go up on Lover's Leap, and... Look at that memorial stone and just kind of quietly ask, you know, guys, where, where are you? You know, we're, we're, you know, it's such a mystery, and uh, it would be nice to solve that mystery.
1: Yeah, uh, John Wingate, we appreciate so much uh, once again you joining us.
3: Thank you, Harold and Megan, it was good to talk with you again. That
1: Thank is, you. Yes, that is uh, John Wingate. Uh, uh, Souls speak, missing children identify their ser- serial killer from beyond. <sighs> that is. Um, that's chilling stuff.
2: That that is. I, I've, for once, kind of at a loss for words.
1: <laughs> Which, yeah, well, there are people that should say, "Okay, take take note of this." Yeah, Megan. Take, what
2: what episode is this? Yeah. Megan doesn't know what to say. <laughs> Megan is
1: at a loss for words. Hey, now,
2: you know, we uh, like I always say, you never you never know. Uh, interesting, interesting people. Interesting in- people in Hannibal from Hannibal.
1: Yeah. In, interesting people, interesting stories. And, uh, uh, that uh, certainly falls into that category. And, uh, uh, we appreciate you joining us. Uh, we promise we'll, we'll find a, find a happier topic next time. Uh, <laughs> that will be our goal, at least. Uh, but uh, we, we thank you for joining us. And uh, this is uh, this is a story that uh, uh, is, is part of the history of Hannibal and uh, a story that uh, John Wingate has, has told
0: so very well. I'm Harold Smith.
2: And I'm Megan Rapp.
0: And we will see you next time on the Rivertown Review Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the Hannibal Rivertown Review Podcast. For comments and suggestions, email us at rivertownreview at gmail.com. Find us at RivertownReview.com or at Rivertown Review on Facebook.